And this week we're Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. I invite you to stand as you are able and reverence the authority of God's word. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. My name is Craig Cody. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community. Thanks for being here today. I don't normally bring a hymnal up with me, but here we are. I was thinking about this as we were singing. Um, it's a privilege every Sunday that we have, and at other times throughout the week, to sing together. Um, I learned this week, my wife was telling me this, that Martin Luther, way back during the time of the Reformation, was instrumental in making uh, congregational singing become a thing. He took the the songs that were sung back then, translated them into uh, German, and then passed out copies so that everybody could sing along. Now, Martin Luther is probably his most famous hymn, if you know much about what he wrote, is a, is a Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I was thinking about it because it's extremely applicable to our text today. Let me just read one line from it. If you want to look at it in your, in your hymnal, I think we all have these. We don't typically use these, but here we are. Uh, it's number 110 in the hymnal, and then it's verse 2. And I'll, before I read it for you, honestly, I sang it. I've sung this song a million times. I never really understood what I was singing, but I, I hope that by the end of the sermon today, we all will understand a little bit more about what was so important to Martin Luther that he wrote it into a hymn that would be sung in praise to God. So here's verse 2. It says this, Did we in our own strength confide... So if we're resting in our own strength, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Who is it? Who's on our side? Christ Jesus, it is he. And then this is the line, Lord Sabbath, his name. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. Lord Sabbath, his name. That's what we're coming to. Just, just was thinking about that. What does that mean? What was I seeing all that time? It's so important, so beautiful. Where are we? Let's get a little context, then we'll dive into this Lord's Sabbath thing. We're coming, we're coming through a series of controversies. What controversies? 
Jesus, over the last several weeks, as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, really starting at the beginning of chapter 2, the first controversy we see is he forgives sin. Then he eats with sinners, outcasts. Then his followers don't fast like everyone else. And the whole point, this is what Jesus is, is the point he's trying to make, is that the kingdom is breaking in. Sin is gone. Everybody in. Joy filled. The kingdom is here because the king is here. Jesus is the king. And today we come to the final controversy. God's regulations about work and rest. Uh, God's regulations for the Sabbath. And that has its roots all the way back at the beginning of Israel's history when they came out of Egypt and God gave them the law, specifically the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment of those ten from Exodus 20 is this, and I think it should be on your screens. Just getting a little bit of context as we're starting out here. So this is the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. So Sabbath, that's the controversy that Jesus is taking head on. That's what talks about what we're talking about here in the fourth commandment. And it's about the relationship between work and and rest. We all have different relationships to work. Some of us wish that we could have work, but we don't have it. Some of us wish we could work, but we physically cannot. Some of us struggle with discipline in work. Uh, some of us have retired from work. Some of us have work, but we hate it. Some of us are students, and work, work is study, right? Work is going to class. Some of us are stay-at-home parents, and that is very tiring work. Over the years, I feel like this is becoming a recurring theme when I'm up here. It's like, what has Craig listened to this week? But over the years, I've, I've listened to uh, podcasts. That's why I often share about things I'm listening to. I love podcasts. I love listening to sermons. And I can still remember when I first listened to Tim Keller's sermon about this passage. And the title of it is Work and Rest. It was transformative for me. That might even be an un understatement. Just totally foundationally so significant to my life. He actually also wrote about this, this topic, in his book, Every Good Endeavor. And I would highly recommend both of those resources to you, the sermon and the book. I was tempted, honestly, to just push play on the sermon and sit down. <laughs> what, what Keller does with this passage um, has so significantly influenced me and helped me over the years that you're going to hear a lot of, of that coming through my sermon today. Um, and I just want to say that from the outset. He does a great job with it, and I'm really thankful for his influence. And now Keller is helpful. He really is. But Jesus here is beautiful. There is glory and grace from God's word for you today, for you this morning. Jesus is offering us a beautiful, needed, gracious gift that I ache for. I am telling you, this is real-time gospel Bible application. As I'm standing here preaching, I have to apply this to my life. You'll see what I mean. Who here is anxious? Is anybody here anxious? Anybody weary? Anyone restless or tired or disappointed, wounded? 
Jesus has something to offer us this morning. Let's ask him to come and speak now. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you are here, and we do ask, Lord, that you come and speak to us. We ache for true soul rest, and we know that you're the one who gives it. So come now. Come and minister among us. Come and open our eyes to glorious things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in our time together, I want to answer four questions, and here are the four questions. First, what does Jesus say about the Sabbath? Second, why do we need a Sabbath? Third, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath? And then fourth, how do we have Sabbath rest now? You don't have to have all those questions lined up right now. We're going to go through them one by one. So the first question, um, what does Jesus teach us about the Sabbath? So now we're right in our passage, all right? Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23. Jesus and his, and his disciples are walking from one place to another. And on the way, they walk through some grain, grain fields, and they grab some grain, and they pop it in their mouth. And, you know, if you know smack cereal, that's what we're talking about here. We're just grabbing those little bits of wheat and popping it in our mouth. It wasn't wrong. God's law actually authorized that. That's okay to do. But the Pharisees still got mad. Why were they mad? It wasn't because they were eating it or taking it. They, they asked Jesus, how could they do that on the Sabbath? And that's the problem. The Sabbath is the problem. On the Sabbath, as we read earlier, the very first thing that we read from Exodus 20, the law of God said you could not work. And wasn't grabbing the, gra- the, the grain and pulling it off and popping it in your mouth, wasn't that working? That was essentially the act of harvesting. You can't do that. And then similarly, in chapter 3, so the, the second part of our passage today, Jesus ignites another Sabbath controversy. Jesus encounters a man in the synagogue with a withered hand, and he miraculously heals him. Isn't, isn't that work, healing somebody? The Pharisees sure thought so, and so they ask him a question, and that's verse 24. They say, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? What is lawful on the Sabbath? What can you do on the Sabbath? I'm asking you, what, what can you do? What do you think the Bible says? that you can do on the Sabbath, or we can do on the Sabbath. Some of you might be wondering the same thing, might have been asking yourself the same question as we read it earlier. And you might be thinking in this moment, Craig, just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what I need to do, and I'll do it. Just tell me what the law says. And that would be nice in some ways, wouldn't it, if I just spelled it out for you. We could find rest, a sense of rest, in knowing exactly what we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to do it. But we'd be missing what the Pharisees miss. And we'd be missing what Jesus offers. So here's Jesus' response, what Jesus teaches us about the Sabbath. First, notice what he does not do. He does not cancel or throw out the Sabbath. He doesn't answer the Pharisees by saying, oh, that old thing, the Sabbath, that's out. We're done. He doesn't say that. He actually doubles down on the Sabbath. He goes all in with it. He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. That kind of identification with the Sabbath is very, very close. Jesus is drawing himself even closer into the Sabbath by saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Jesus points to the true purpose of the Sabbath. The first thing he does is he points him to David's example, and that comes from 1 Samuel 20, 21. You don't need to turn there necessarily. 
Here's the brief story. David and his men are on the run. They had a desperate situation. And in their desperation, they ran to the house of God. They, they needed something to eat. They were hungry and thirsty. And so uh, the only bread, the only food that was available was the bread that was set before God. Now, that was a no-no. Nobody ate that except the priests. But the priest there, in light of the circumstances, let David and his men eat it. Now, David was never rebuked or corrected for that. So what is Jesus saying to the Pharisees when he talks about David? Okay, let's take a little bit of a, of a 40,000 foot view here. Theologians classify the Old Testament law in one of, at least one of three ways. There's the moral law, which is laws like do not steal or do not murder. There's civil law, and these laws have to do with the exercise of government, specifically among the Israelites. And then the third type is ceremonial law. Ceremonial law covers things like what priests should and shouldn't wear, what you can and cannot eat, things like that. So moral law, civil law, ceremonial law. The Sabbath regulations fall under that third category, the ceremonial law. Moral law, though, can never be set aside, okay? You can't get yourself into a tight situation and then all of a sudden decide, you know what, man, I'm in a pinch right now. I'm really in a hurry. I just need to murder that person that I hate. You don't do that. It's not for convenience sake. You don't do things like that. But ceremonial law, you might encounter situations like that when the circumstances demanded it. And so when David and his men walked up, the circumstances demanded it, you give them the bread. Ultimately, the law, especially the ceremonial law, is about, and specifically the law about the Sabbath, is about preserving life about doing good, which is what Jesus says explicitly. It's implied from the David story, and he says it explicitly in chapter 3, verse 4. This is, this is what he asks the people who are, who are there gathered in the synagogue. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Jesus is talking about the meaning of the Sabbath when he asks that question. You see, what the Pharisees had done is they had twisted the law to be more about law-keeping than about life. More about making the grade than about doing good. The law, which includes Sabbath-keeping, becomes a means to show their worth. That's what the Pharisees, at least the way they thought about it, was a means to show their worth, to justify themselves before God rather than resting in God. It's self-centered. It's self-serving. They chose the law over loving this man. And that's why Jesus is angry and grieved at their hard hearts. So that's the second thing I wanted you to notice. And then the third thing that Jesus says about the Sabbath is this. It's the main thing, the foundation stone to this whole passage. It's right there in verse 28. It's the whole passage kind of pivots around it. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Ceremonial laws... The laws about the Sabbath and those other regulations often function in the place of something yet to come. It was provisional. That is to say, it was temporary until something better came in to take its place. We, have, we actually have ceremonial laws right now. This is a ceremonial law you see actually played out right in front of you, communion. It's something temporary. We take communion temporarily to remember Jesus, but it will come to an end when we see him face to face. That's much better, right? 
Many times in Mark, Mark shows us who Jesus is uh, without words, but just by actions. Jesus this time says exactly who he is. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So what is he saying? I am the one that all those Sabbath regulations point to. I am the one who gives you the deep rest of the soul that your soul craves. I am the Lord of rest. That's, that is a big statement. Now, before we go any further, let's just step back and ask ourselves, why would we need rest? Do we really need it? Do we need the rest that the Lord of the rest offers? Let's answer the second question. Why do we need it? Why do we need the Sabbath rest that Jesus offers? I just want us to understand what we're up against here. I'm talking about us right now, our modern context. We are, all kinds of studies say this, we are the most stressed out, the most anxious, the most busy, the most go, go, go generation that has ever walked the face of the planet. And it's killing us, not only physically, but spiritually. We get so busy that we never rest internally. And I know you're sitting there agreeing with me. I don't even have to convince you. Let's just talk about our current culture for a moment, okay? Tim Keller, I told you I talk about him a lot. He identified several trend, trends in modern culture that contribute to the current state of restlessness in life. And I'm just going to share a couple of those trends with you. Here's the first trend that he noticed. Jobs are insecure. In a historically unique way, jobs are less secure than they've ever been before. It's so easy to lose a job, to move on, to shift, to, to do something different, or have the change made on you. And so we work. We work to prove our worth, work to kind of keep our job, work to maintain our place, work to get ahead, work to get the promotion, work to get ahead of the guys and the girls who are behind us. Here's trend number two. You can work anywhere. How great is that? We can work from home, from the, from the coffee shop, from our bed, from the pew. You can work right now. That's convenient, right? <laughs> but because we can work anywhere, what do we do? We work everywhere. Your phone's probably vibrating in your pocket right now. You got an email. Everybody's checking. Don't check. <laughs> just, just kidding. We work everywhere. Here's the third trend. Third trend, identity used to come through our family, our relationships uh, with, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a sister. Job wasn't all that important. But now we define our significance and our identity by our work, by what we do. Here's the thing about these trends. These are just simple observations from one man. Um, the first two trends show us that we need rest more desperately than ever. And the last one shows us that we lack the ability to rest more than ever. We need it more than ever, and we lack the ability to rest more than ever. And that is a big problem. There's something else, though, that brings weariness to our souls. The New York Times book review writer, her name's Judith Sholovitz, she wrote a column a number of years ago called Bring Back the Sabbath. She grew up Jewish, walked away from her religious roots, 
pursued her career and in, in a life outside of that. But in all the working and working and working, she realized she was working for a deeper reason. There was something underneath it all that was driving her to work harder and harder without satisfaction or stop. Shulevitz called it that drive, that inside voice, the inner murmur of self-reproach. Keller calls it the work behind the work. But they both describe something that I think we can all identify with. It's, it's a lack, a deep lack of rest. It's anxiety. It's discontent or unrestfulness. Here's, what, here's how Keller describes it. What is that deep unrestfulness? The need to prove ourselves. The deep unhappiness with who we are. The feeling that I'm not okay, I'm not acceptable. And so we're working and working and working to prove ourselves to ourselves, to others, to God. And that's the deep restlessness that we need a cure for. The work underneath all our work that all the vacations in the world won't cure. The restlessness underneath the weariness. That hits me. Friends, we need this rest. We need a rest, I need a rest, that silences the inner murmur of self-reproach, that silences the voice in my head and around me, in the community, in my relationships with others, that say to me, in order to show your worth, in order to show your worth, you must work. It's this murmur, this work beneath the work, that drives some of us to never say no to things because this unrestfulness compels us to say yes. Some of us constantly live life out of a prove-yourself mentality. That kind of mentality, that kind of work, that, that work only brings weariness. It's never enough. It's never finished. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Law-keeping to show that they could do it, that they could earn it, but they couldn't do it either. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, speaks directly to this, to this incredibly relevant message, with this incredibly relevant message, with this incredibly relevant reality for us right now. But How? How, that's the next question, how does Jesus speak to this inner unrestfulness of the soul? What does it mean that he is the Lord of the Sabbath? What does that even mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you today? Let's go back to the purposes why the Sabbath was originally instated. God says it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is verse 12. If you want to turn there, you don't have to. It'll be on the screens. God says this, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day. To keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Sabbath, as God spells it out right there, is a response to being slaves. In giving them a Sabbath, God says, you're not slaves to work anymore. The Sabbath, therefore, is an act 
of liberation. Slaves get no rest. If you don't rest, then you are a slave. A slave to your needs, to your insecurities, to your family's hopes, to the culture's expectations, to your job. God says, I am here. I have set you free. You can rest. Resting is an act of liberation. It's an act of identity. Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, work doesn't define me. Jesus defines me. We'll keep going deeper. The Sabbath is also an act of faith. By intentionally setting aside work, Israel trusted God to provide for them. In addition to, that, to not only once a week taking that time off, God actually set certain calendars where the land would be given a year's rest and God would continue to provide for them. What is this saying? Why did he do that? This is saying that by resting, we declare that the one who is at work is God. We trust God to work for us. I'm not the one keeping the world going. I'm not the one who meets everybody's needs. God is. I am not God. Jesus is the Lord of my Sabbath. In Exodus 20, God grounds the Sabbath in the created order. I'll read that again. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So light and dark, land and sea, plants and animals, he made them with a word. And after, each God, after he got done with each one, he would look at them and he would say, It is good. By the time that this passage, we're going to come back around to this, by the time that this passage runs its course, the Pharisees have seen what Jesus has said that he is, and they make their intentions clear. They're going to kill him. And then they eventually do. But when they do, they actually make him the Lord of the Sabbath. He triumphs over the grave, showing that he is truly the Son of God, the Lord of rest. So, brothers and sisters, let's tie all these little frayed strings together right now. The Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, has come. You are no longer slaves to your work to prove yourself. You do not need to fear. God is in control. On the cross, Jesus died the death that you deserve. He was perfect. He perfectly followed his father. He did not deserve to die. We deserve to die. He died the death that we deserved. And when he was there, he cried out and he said, It is finished. What is finished? Everything that you need for salvation. Everything that the most perfectionistic soul demands that says you have to do more, you have to do more, you have to do more. Everything is done. It's paid for. It's finished. And if you have trusted in him, God looks at Jesus' finished work in you just like those days of creation. He looks at you, that finished work, and says, it is good.
That's what I need to hear over and over and over again. So let's get practical. What, let's get really practical. What does Sabbath look like in our lives right now? What does rest look like right now? How do we experience this right now? First of all, we've got to say, you've got to get what I've already talked about. You've got to let that truth drop down into your heart. It is finished, and when he looks at you, he says, you are good because of Jesus. If you've never experienced the rest that comes from placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you have to go to him to get to that rest. Just like the man with the withered hand, right? He comes up in front of the people, and Jesus says, stretch out your hand. That act of faith, he stretched it out. You've got to reach out your hand to Jesus he will meet you. He will. He will give you that rest to the deepest parts of your heart. And if you do trust him and you still feel restless like I do at times, you don't really know what you have in Jesus. And that's hard for me. That's hard for me to admit. Even writing this message, even in this moment, I, I'm being totally honest, even in this moment right now, I can feel the work behind the work rising up in me, the, the work that wants to prove, I want to prove myself to you, I want to prove myself to that person, I want to prove my worth to God. It's an ongoing battle for me, which is why I need some of these practical thoughts. Here we go, practical thoughts. First, take more Sabbath time. It's really hard to be prescriptive here about what you can and can't do, right? Law, law alert, don't go there. But just generally, recognize you probably need more Sabbath than you currently get, more rest than you currently get. Just a quick clarification. Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. He fulfills all the law, all the law that was from the Old Testament. And so as Christians, we don't strictly keep it. But that does mean, because Jesus fulfilled the law, that does need to mean that we need to be extra vigilant and extra disciplined to seek that deep soul rest. So the first one, take more Sabbath time. Second one, take good Sabbath time. I'm just going to skip real fast across this. There's a lot of good stuff out there that's written about good soul rest, but Keller gives us three guidelines. He says it should include Sabbath, good Sabbath rest should include avocational activities. That is, you have your vocation, your job, and then avocational, not your job. So hobbies or other things that don't have to do with your job, that's the first one. Two, it should be inactive. The Israelites had to actually stop, stop working. And when you stop, it gives you time to just be, to be with God. And third, it should be contemplative. And this is really important for me. It should be contemplative. Keller says we can't rest because we aren't sure we're okay. So what do you need to do? You need to worship. You need to remind yourself of what's true. You need to remind yourself the story of who you are and who God is and what he's doing around you. I, as, even as I prepared this sermon, I was extremely convicted by this one. On my days off, I, I have resolved, and I'm committing it to you before here. Lord, help me. I want to start my days off with worship to set my heart in the right posture, the right perspective. So that's the second practical advice. And then the final one, be accountable for Sabbath time. Ask those who are around you to help keep you accountable in this. It's so easy just to default into overwork for some or laziness into others, going into rest time without ever really resting. 
huge part of Sabbath, right? We see it here with Jesus. is about restoration. You need to restore your soul by being with him. My family, we just wrapped up uh, cross-country season. We had two kids who were running cross-country. And it was a great season. And coming down the stretch, we decided to pop one of those hype videos in the DVD player. Chariots of Fire. You know what I mean? Hype video, get them pumped up for the races, right? Chariots of Fire. You guys, many of you have seen this movie. It's the story of two runners, Harold Abrams and Eric Little. When Abrams ran, he ran to prove his worth. He said, he has this classic quote, I run the 100 meter dash because when that gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify myself. It all came down to justifying his existence, his worth, by what he did. And when Little ran, as a Christian man who knew he was loved by God, he ran feeling God's pleasure in him. Two totally different worlds. In Jesus, brothers and sisters, hear him say, hear him say today, it is finished. And because of that, when your father looks at you today, he says, it is good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we cannot return enough thanks to you for this amazing gift that our work is finished. We are not slaves. We are set free. And that when you look at us, you say, it is good. Oh, you've done it all for us. We are so thankful for you. We are filled with joy. You are our great Savior. And you are indeed the Lord's Sabbath. From age to age the same, you won the battle. You won it for us on the cross so that we can have true, eternal, deep rest. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to pursue that soul rest now. Help us to do that together. Thank you. Thank you for your amazing gift. In Jesus' name, amen.